0: Well, this morning, I'm excited to introduce our speaker. I, I won't be sharing this morning, but our speaker this morning is not only a part of our congregation. Uh, he's also a dear friend of mine. Pat Crowder uh, loves people, and he loves the Lord, and he has a heart for caring for and shepherding people. Uh, He has been a pastor, he has been a college professor, Uh, he has served within our denomination, and he and his wife Mindy currently have a ministry to pastors and leaders. They provide counsel and care for those who are called to shepherd the flock of Jesus Christ. In fact, just this last year, they started a ministry called Healthy Pastors and Leaders, and you can check out their uh, website at healthypastors.net. Uh, check that out. They've got blog articles that are coming out and, and articles that would, I know, be an encouragement to any of you, uh, and they, they are just absolutely a blessing to the body of Christ. So I asked Pat if he would come today uh, and share a message. Uh, in fact, this last week as I was speaking to him, he was sharing some things that God had been stirring on his heart, and I thought, you know, it'd be great for us to share in that. So would you please welcome Pat Crowder as he comes to speak? Good morning, wonderful
1: church. I am so glad to be there with you in your living room, some of you in your PJs, some of you, uh, I don't even want to think about it. All right, but we want to get into the Word of God this morning, right? Even as churches in this season. So uh, I don't know if you guys ever have this feeling. You know, I'm a a little bit older, and I was reading this week about someone uh, that felt like that because of the desire to go back to work, which we all have, the desire to kind of get back to normal. Uh, as an older person, they feel devalued. They feel like, wow, maybe my life's not worth much. And uh, I think the enemy's always at work with us, trying to make us feel like we're not enough, we're not valuable, uh, we're, 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 we're uh, dishonored goods, and we're also broken goods. We have so much dysfunction, so many ways we don't perform well, you know, if people really knew who I really was, they wouldn't even love me, you know, some of us have that thought, and I I certainly have those thoughts, and uh, uh, you know, the moments come where I just feel I'm not really up to whatever God's asking, and I have such good news for for you and for me this week from His Word, because we're going to talk about who God is, and when we look at who He is rather than who we are, It can change everything. I love this study that we're in in church. Uh, God is, because it changes everything when our focus is on him. I think that's why he asks us to worship him. He says, magnify him. And it's not because he's like in need of, you know, being comforted or, you know, for us to go, good God, you know, but what it what it is is He knows that we need to magnify who He is. We need to remind ourselves who God is, because as we get to know who He is, it begins to change who we are. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, back in the Garden, uh, some researchers, some theologians, uh, even some psychiatrists have looked and felt like that the original sin was really when, uh, when Eve felt like she wasn't enough and satan was saying to her look if you will eat of this you'll be just like god and so he can never abandon you and so really the very first sin was was based on shame it was based on a feeling of abandonment or not being enough and somehow she needed to eat eat so that you know she wouldn't be abandoned and um so all through scripture, uh, theologians and psychiatrists also point out, uh, Kurt Thompson, one of the most famous uh, Christian psychiatrists along that line, that so much of our sin and our brokenness and our failure flows out of shame. So once that brokenness takes hold, that sin takes hold, uh, it continues to multiply more sin, more shame, more feeling of unworthiness, more feeling of I'm not enough, and uh, all kinds of, of things flow out of that. But the opposite is what God did with the second Adam. So the first Adam comes, and sin is introduced into the earth. And the second Adam comes, and when he begins his ministry, what's the very first thing that he does? The very beginning, uh, as he uh, steps into his role as Savior. Think about that for a minute. The very first thing is he gets baptized. And when he's baptized, uh, he comes out of the water and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's the opposite message of shame. It's the opposite of you might be abandoned. It's the opposite of you're not enough. It's the message of you're more than enough. You're my beloved son. I am well pleased in you. Well, we're going to look at some things God says about us in regard to what happened through this second Adam. Uh, it, one of my favorite verses about this is in Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, I'm just going to read you the first 10 verses, but we're going to especially be focused on the last of those verses. Uh, and we, it says, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Can, can we get an amen? Yeah, for me, absolutely. In which we f- once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places. I know that's just hard to even get our head around, isn't it? In Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay, so we're in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says this For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. It's not the result of works or performance so that no one can boast. In verse 10, here we go. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what do we get from this about who God is? God is a creator. God is, even better, it says we are his workmanship, and the Greek word behind that is poiemon, which is the word we actually get the word poem from. So like when, when an author writes a poem, a work of art, that brings beauty into the earth. Uh, that same word is used, that same Greek word is where we get the word poem because he, he's describing an artistic work, a creative work of beauty. And he says we are his creative work of beauty. We are his workmanship. Not that we did anything, not that we performed any way. It's so clear here. While we were even dead in our sins, he came along and decided to work us into something beautiful, creating us for for good works that we will walk in them. So God is our creator. But I'd like to say it this way. One aspect of God as creator is he's our sculptor. He sculpts us. He makes us. He remakes us. And out of that, I'd like to say what we are, uh, I am a work of art. So can you say that wherever you're sitting? Just say, God is a sculptor, and I am his work of art. Let's try that one more time. God is a sculptor, and I am his work of art. Isn't that beautiful? I feel different just saying it. I mean, it's like something energizes when I, when I, when I just think of that. I want to I tell you about a story of uh, a place I visited a couple of years ago, Mindy and I visited this place called Marble, Colorado. And uh, as you know, uh, Pastor mentioned that we do this thing called healthypastors.net, uh, or the corporate name is uh, Healthy Pastors and Leaders. And, uh, but you can find out more about it at healthypastors.net. But w- uh, we were being trained for that at a place called the Marble Retreat Center. And it's in this little town called Marble, Colorado, which is really just a little small village But it's named that because there's this huge marble quarry there. In fact, the the quarry is so famous. uh, When you see the Lincoln Memorial and you see the big columns on the Lincoln Memorial, they came from that uh, quarry in marble. And so uh, we were just really curious. We went and and saw the quarry and we saw the big chunks of marble. And uh, the crazy thing is you, you get these big chunks of marble. And as I was looking at them, I began to think about a couple of things. Holiness and sanctification. And what I knew from my theological training began to have like a whole nother understanding as I was looking at this giant chunk of marble. And I began to think about uh, how a sculptor looks at a chunk of marble and doesn't see the marble, but sees the person that's inside that he wants to build, that he wants to sculpt. And I began to think about that. And so the word Sancti- uh, the word uh, holiness we get mixed up about that we think holiness is about you know doing a bunch of rules and if we do them right you know we put our hair in our bun right and we you know we wear the right clothes and we and we you know we say the right things and we never let the wrong things come out of our mouth and that we're holy but holiness has nothing to do with that that's a secondary thing that we call sanctification but the the word holy means to be taken and set apart And so in that quarry, you can see where they they just cut into the walls, and they they cut these big chunks, and they transfer big chunks of marble out of the darkness of a tunnel. It's actually a, a big, huge tunnel. They had to burrow into the earth. And out of the darkness, they take this big chunk of marble, and they set it apart to make something. And so the moment it's set apart, it's fully valuable now. It is... Uh, it is set apart. It is uh, in the in the the mind of the the uh, sculptor. He already sees what's in there. And so uh, when when Michelangelo was uh, doing the David, uh, some of you've seen that that beautiful sculpture, kind of like the ultimate sculpture of what a human male should look like. And none of us look like that, but we love the sculpture anyway. Uh, you see all the you know the six pack abs and everything and. Uh, when that was being sculpted, I I have a friend that as I was telling him the story, he told me about going and seeing David. And he said, as you go in to see David, they have uh, half done sculptures where you see uh, the beginnings of kind of knocking off the stuff that's not supposed to stay. And as the sculptor knocks off everything that's not supposed to stay, it continues to reveal more and more the beauty of David that's in the mind of that creator, that sculptor. And so he's got this picture of this perfect man, of this perfect human that he's gonna design or he's gonna reveal. It's in there the whole time. It's there even while the, the the stuff is all around it. But he begins to sculpt away everything that doesn't belong. Everything that doesn't belong just keeps getting sculpted away. And finally the revelation of what was there all along. David, he's been inside that block the whole time, but everything had to be hammered away and cleared away until you could finally see the beauty of what had been there all along. Well, wow, that just radically impacted me, because I thought, the minute I am born again, and I'll read you one of the verses that that really just backs this up. Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and He's transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins, so there's this picture like being taken out of a quarry and set apart out of darkness, now out in the light, but you know we still look pretty messy. but the sculptor, the workman, the one who's going to to work us into beauty, already sees Jesus Christ inside there. He sees what we're going to look like. We are destined and designed and predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. So he already sees Jesus. And so we think he's looking and seeing all the little bits and pieces that need to be hammered away. He's not looking at that. The artist looks at what's where he's going. He looks at who we already are inside that block And he's already celebrating the beauty of the guy that's inside there, that he's going to hammer away and get rid of all that stuff. And so then the rest of our life, he begins to do that. We call that sanctification. So we have been made holy. We have been set apart. And when we talk about holiness, like when we say God is holy, we say holy, holy, holy. We're saying different, 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 set apart, other, other, other. You are other than all other. And when we're saying holy, we're not saying uh, perfect. We're saying perfect set apart. You are beyond all of us. You're beyond your creation. You're beyond all of us. We can't even get our heads around it. You're so holy, holy, holy. Well, then when he says we're holy, he's saying we've been set apart as well. And from everything else, we've been set apart from darkness. Now we're in the kingdom of light. And uh, this process begins of, of perfecting us, of sanctifying us. I want to talk a little bit further about that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, if, if some of you were doing the, the Lectio Divina this week, this is one of our verses. It says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. All right? So that's the destiny right there. That's the picture But there is a process that happens, and we learn from Scripture, he talks about putting off the old self, putting on the new self, that there's a transformation of practices, there's a transformation of of motives, there's a transformation that happens. That's already happened in the sense that the the designer has set us apart, he's begun the good work, but now he's beginning to hammer away those things that don't belong. Here's the good news. He's doing it, okay? The, the, The sculpture doesn't do it. The sculptor does it. The sculptor does it. Now, I I think we can participate a little bit. We'll we'll talk about that in a moment. But here's what I want you to see. He goes on to say in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For our sakes, he made him to be sin, Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. This is another important part of this setting apart. If you go to Marble Retreat and you want to get some of that marble, you have to buy it. And we had to be purchased. Uh, The Bible teaches us that Jesus on the cross purchased us. It kind of works like this. Uh, You know, if if I have tons of debts and I've not managed my life well and I've had uh, lots of reversals and I've gotten deep into debt, but I marry someone who is very wealthy, they have, you know, their last name is Gates. And so they grew up in the Bill Gates family and they've got so much wealth. And you could never exhaust it. It's almost infinite. And we decide to get married, and they go, okay, I'll I'll accept your debts, and you'll accept my wealth. And then you marry, and the debts are canceled by the wealth of the other. And so what Jesus has done, he's come to the bride, and he said, you have so many debts. But guess what? I have infinite resources of righteousness. I have infinite resources of goodness. I have infinite resources of of beauty and wonder and glory. And my glory is going to be more than enough to cancel out your debt. And that purchases us out of that dark place and into the place of totally being forgiven. The debts are gone. And you're like, but I have debts. No, no, you don't. They're gone. But I have debt. No, you married. you At that marriage moment, at that moment of salvation, at that moment of receiving Jesus as Lord and, ex- and coming into that covenant with him, your debts were erased by his glory. And so now you've been made valuable. And now he's going to continue the work that's going on in your life. Uh, in 2 Corinthians uh, 3, 17 and 18, it says, now the the Lord is spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So we've been set apart. We're in its place of freedom now. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, one degree of glory to another or some, some translations say from glory to glory to glory. And there's this idea of kind of a progressive clearing away of the stuff that we shouldn't have and a revealing of the Christ likeness that we should have. He goes on to um, promise that uh, we are made to be in his image. He says we are predestined. In Romans, I want to go over there, Romans 8, 26 through 30, another one that was in your study this week, if you, if you were able to do the Lectios. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So it's almost like the Spirit is, is that uh, expression of God uh, using the tools, to clear away what needs to be cleared away, to reveal what needs to be there. And he knows what it's meant to look like. He goes on to explain that in verse 28 of, of Romans 8. He says, and we know that all things, uh, for those that love the Lord, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So he's at work in our good times, our bad times. He's at work, you know, in pandemics. He's, in wor- he's at work in glorious moments of celebration. Uh, they're working together for his purpose. And what is his purpose? In verse 29, he says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined. And what did he predestine? He predestined that they would be conformed to the image of his son. So he's looked at that block of marble that's you or me, and he's predestined that in that block is a picture of Jesus that can just be hammered away until the fullness. Of that picture comes to pass, and that's, that's kind of a lifetime process. He says uh, that, we might, that he was the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined he also called, and those he called he justified, and those he justified he glorified. And so those are some fancy words, but basically what they mean is God knew you're going to come to him. And knowing that some were going to come to him He created a predestined process that you can step into. That if you come to the Lord he then will begin a good work in you that perfects till the day of Christ Jesus, uh, Philippians 1.6, that he will start something and he'll begin to hammer away. And day after day, we become more like Jesus. And then one day we're going to see him as he is. We go to be with him. Uh, this life is over and we, we see him as he really is. And then we have that final transforming uh, work that takes us on into the presence of Jesus. But throughout this life, uh, it's an ongoing thing. And we can cooperate. Colossians. 3, 9, and 10 says, put off the old self and its practices. Put on the new self, being renewed in the image of the creator. Uh, Here's one of the beautiful things. There's this thing called the Pygmalion principle. Uh, It's also sometimes called the... um, uh, the Rosenthal, the, yeah, the Rosenthal effect. And here's the deal. So they did this study, and they, they took uh, students in, in, in 20 classes, and they, they told the teachers, they gave them, the kids a test, and they told the teachers, uh, they picked out kids randomly, and they said, these kids have uh, scored high in the top 20% of this test that is called a blooming test. It, it says they are on the edge of blooming intellectually. And they told these teachers, then they followed them for a year. And a year later, all of those kids that had been picked out as the blooming kids, it turns out their IQs went up. It turns out their scores went up. It turns out that they did live up to and thrive and become uh, that which they had been prophesied to be by this so called Harvard uh, test of blooming. Well, the crazy thing was the test was a farce. It, didn't even, it was a test to see if the expectation of those teachers and the expectation of those kids would change how, what they became. And it turns out that it does. That there is an incredible power when we know that uh, we're not to be looking at the stuff around us that needs to be carved away. We're to be looking at the picture of Jesus in us that we're becoming. We're to be focusing on him and worshiping him and celebrating what he's doing in us. And so he continues this work. So we put on Jesus and we go, eh, I don't need that. That's not me. So I remember when I quit smoking, I was smoking in college and uh, and I became a Christian. And one day I went, I'm not a smoker, you know, as I took a toke, And I thought, I'm not a smoker. I don't know why I'm smoking. And and the more I said, I'm not a smoker, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm like Jesus. Jesus didn't smoke. I'm not going to smoke. One day I went, I don't really smoke. And I threw the cigarettes away and, and I've never smoked since. There was something powerful that happened as I focused on who Jesus was more than focusing on, you know, trying to make this one thing right. It had to do with putting on Jesus, focus on who he is, celebrating the work that's going on, and then that sort of uh, cooperates with the Lord in the work that he's doing. So the last thing I'd like to say to you, God is sculptor, so I am his work of art. Everybody say that one again. God is sculptor, and I am his work of art. (sighs) What does that mean? If you're his work of art, what's that mean about whether you're loved or not? What's that mean about whether you're enough or not? What's that mean about whether you will ever be abandoned or not? What does that mean about whether you will be provided for or not? What does that mean about whether or not you'll live with him forever? If you are his workmanship and he's doing this beautiful work, he's not looking at the stuff that hasn't gotten knocked off yet. He is looking at who you're becoming and celebrating that. Every day, in every way, he's chiseling away. Richard Foster said there's three main ways he chisels the Word of God, he uses the tool of his word to chisel and so we, we get in his word and we pray about his word and we think about his word and we, that's why you're listening to this preaching of his word. The second thing is the spirit. the spirit quickens us at certain moments and we know we need to we, need, we know we need to go one way and not another. and the more often we respond to the spirit, the more that work chisels away. And the third one is... Uh, Richard Foster said the third tool the Lord uses to chisel away all that stuff is experiences, and especially the painful ones. So when we're in a quarantine, when we're stuck in the house with a bunch of people, when, when, when some of those ugly pieces of us show up, God is using those experiences, and then the Spirit, and then His Word, all together, the three of those things, to, to, to sculpt us into a beautiful person. So we are loved we are worthy. We have been purchased at a great price. I pray this week as you walk, you will not feel like a broken, dysfunctional person. You'll realize that you are a slab <laughs> that's being carved away into something beautiful and wonderful and treasured by God. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray that the reality of your truth, the reality that you S- reveal in your scriptures, all these, uh, there's so many other verses we could even look at, Lord, that paint this picture of being redeemed, of being translated out of darkness into light, of being destined to look like Jesus. Lord, you chose us. You predestined us to that, Lord. You justified us. It's as if we never sinned. You, you made us just as if we never sinned. Lord, you are sanctifying us day by day. Lord, help us to be responsive to the Spirit, to the Word, and and Lord, help us to to enjoy these circumstances, even when they're tough, knowing that you're at work. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Thank you, Patrick, for that encouraging word. My prayer for you this week is that each of you will continue to be blessed and, and built up and encouraged by the Spirit of God, that no matter what trials you face, no matter what difficulties you're going through, that you would know that God is working in the midst of it to produce something, to grow you, to strengthen you. I also want to encourage you to think about who you could invite to service next Sunday. Reach out to them this week, pray about it, and then send them a text message, send them an email, send them a link on on Facebook or on the website, and let them know about service, ask them to join you, and we'll see you next Sunday.